Hello and welcome in to another episode of Gifted Kid Messy Adult, the show where potential went to die. I'm one of your hosts, Ellie Michaels. I use she, her. I am another one of your hosts, Jessica Michaels, and I use she, they. And today we're talking about imposter syndrome. And just are we even good enough to have imposter syndrome? Really? That I think is at my absolute, like most challenging moments. That is when I know that I'm starting to spiral is when it isn't, oh, I can't do this or I don't deserve to be here. It's I am not even worthy of having these thoughts. You know, I I am not even a person who could begin to think about if I'm a good coach because you know, I can't even be in the room with people who don't think they're good coaches, you know? And so that's I definitely get time to step back, take take a break, and, and maybe Hun, have uh, you eaten? out some... Hmm? Have, have you eaten? Did, did you sleep in the last 24 hours? Like, are, are, you, are you sure you actually hate yourself or do you need a snack? I think uh, in, our, in our marriage the phrase, have you eaten, has come to mean so many things, and very few of them actually have to do with food. Uh, It's code for like, (laughs) you're being a jerk, and I don't want to talk to you right now. Have you eaten is, said, you're spiraling, and maybe things are not quite as bad as you think they are. Uh, So have you eaten is a multi-purpose, multi-purpose phrase that we love. It's the Swiss army knife of self-care. So what actually is imposter syndrome? Like that's that guy from the Incredibles, right? Like, I think imposter syndrome is worrying or not thinking that you deserve to be in the position that you're in or doing the job that you are doing, whatever it is, whatever the thing is, you're not good enough or worthy of doing whatever it is. I know it's something that very frequently women deal with, especially in male-dominated work environments, but also, you know, just in in corporate worlds. This is something that gets talked about a lot, but I think it also affects just people in everyday life, too. What do you think? I think it's annoying. (laughs) I am aware that I'm competent and capable and can do these things, but my brain insists that I'm not. And then, you know, uh, the, the joke is always uh, try to have half of the confidence of a straight white guy. Just wander into the thing and do stuff and charge money for it. And I'm like, but but I, I don't know all of the things. I am, I am not perfect at this these skills and tasks. And I, I do not know literally everything about it. I can't be good enough to, to charge for this kind of work. Uh, and... Ugh. <laughs> It's it's annoying. I'm pretty sure as Michelle Obama said, I used to think I didn't deserve a spot at the table. And then I sat at the table and realized, you know, the people who, who else is there went, oh, yeah, I can I can do this. I can do this. I think to me, honestly, the best cure for imposter syndrome is to sit in a high level management meeting with a bunch of old white men and <laughs> you will absolutely feel much better about uh, yourself and your position because I think sometimes we do put people up on a pedestal and with you know in an, in a career setting I think 
you know, if you have a goal or if you have something that you're working towards and then you get there, you've sort of spent a period of time kind of lionizing, you know, certain people or really thinking highly of these people who do have these jobs or who do do the things that you want to do. And then when you get there, you're like, but I'm still me. Like I'm, I'm still a person, you know, I've gotten promoted, but I'm still the same person who showed up at work yesterday and didn't know what I was doing, what makes it so that I can do this thing now. So I think unfamiliarity and just focusing on something sometimes can give us some imposter syndrome. Um, but I think there's a lot of it that has to do with, for some people, I think being a former gifted kid just sets us up for imposter syndrome. It pretty much just kind of creates that for us in, you know, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, whenever we're popped into one of those lovely programs. Uh, and I don't think it's something that we ever, we ever deal with. When is the first time you remember feeling imposter syndrome? Probably first grade. My, my birthday is in like mid-September and I was just past the cutoff for like this class, this uh, particular year. And I was going to be effectively held back. Uh, and it was insisted that I get tested because of course I was smart enough to now spend the rest of my life being the youngest and smallest person in every class I was ever in. <laughs> and they give you this test and it's like, what are shapes and what is, is like, that's a sailboat. And what does this word mean? And it was all so easy that I was like, oh, they're just, they're taking pity on me. Like someone rigged this so that it's actually easier. I'm not actually smart enough to go to school early. They're just being nice about it. It's saying that out loud. <laughs> you know, there might be something to that. <laughs> Are you answering some own questions about your life as you go through that story? Well, it's that it's that thing that I do to you all the time where you're like, well, what if I do the thing? And I'm like, well, what would that look like? And you go, well, it would be this and this and it would destroy me in this way. Uh, <laughs> someone forcing an outside perspective a little. Yeah, I think that being in the gifted program, like when you are rewarded for being smart as a kid. And it's not anything that you did. It's just who you are. You know, I didn't study extra hard when I was six to go into a gifted program in the second grade when I was seven. So you're already getting this changed status because of nothing. You did nothing. And so uh -huh. then when you are, when that becomes your thing, the thing that you're known for, the thing that you do, and you didn't earn it, you didn't do anything to deserve it, then when you are in adulthood, and maybe you have worked really hard for something, or you absolutely deserve to be in a place, you still just have this sense of, but I didn't do anything to get here. I didn't do enough to get here to deserve whatever it is. And then I think a lot of people who are ex-gifted or who are gifted adults do things well, certain things well, maybe that other people don't do. 
And when you've got that natural ability or, you know, you pick up mechanical things quickly or you're able to do, um, you know, you're just able to jump in and kind of understand how uh, some tech works or whatever it is, you feel like maybe you've cheated to get there, uh-huh. cheated the system and that doesn't feel earned. So you're still dealing with, oh my God, people are going to find out that I'm a fraud. People are going to find out that I don't, I don't really know what I'm doing or people are going to find out that I'm just a person or that I haven't spent thousands and thousands of hours of doing this thing. And that just leads to that sense all the time of, I didn't earn this. It's not, I'm not as good as people think I am. I'm fooling people. You know, these things that we keep saying, keep cropping up. I just, I think it's all related. I think part of it too, is that when you're like inherently talented at doing something and like, I don't know what I did to be good at this. And therefore I don't know how to prevent it from going away. Like, but uh, specifically I remember uh, doing stand up, and like, if I stop doing this for like two weeks, I'm going to forget how to do this entirely because I don't know what I'm doing to make this work. I'm kind of just trying to say things that generally fit this pattern and then the people laugh. Uh, But if I stop, then I'll never get that back because I didn't get it in the first place. It just showed up. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. That is, and that's just kind of terrifying. You know, especially Uh if it's something you're doing for work or for for income or something that you've told people about, you know, the fact that it could just go away as easily as it showed up is paralyzing. Uh Mm-hmm. Oh, what's that? Um, Skill depreciation is a a neurodivergent thing where we can develop a really great skill and be really good at something. But then if we stop doing it, we do forget how to do it. And like, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't really do stage time anymore. I don't need to remember how to do that. But what if I forget how, like how to edit video? Like what if I forget how to arrange lighting? Like, like crap. I didn't necessarily study these things. I just kind of know them from years and years of exposure to this kind of art and production. Um, and yeah, I had, I had a therapist once when I was like, I don't, I don't really know what I'm doing. I don't know why that's a good thing. And I can't really qualify it exactly. She went, Oh, so you're a natural. That's fine. Oh, that's what that is. Okay. Yeah. I think too, people who are naturally hard on themselves whether it's having like perfectionist tendencies or for whatever reason or you just grew up with a critical adult voice in your ear when you were a kid oh, it's just because i suck that's all i think you also the bar of what an accomplishment is just moves as far as you move forward it moves forward so you don't know what good is what an accomplishment really looks like to you is something huge. It's like, you know, I can, I'm video editing, but I'm not going to be good enough eventually until I direct a feature length, multi-million dollar movie. And one that does well and sells well, you know, you can't just make the movie. It's got, you know, you can't, what, we need at least a 
10 million theater release, you know, it's got to make back a solid double of what we uh, invested, you know, normal, ex- ex- uh, <laughs> normal expectations, right? Like, I think with a lot of my clients, some of the things that I see are just, just by virtue of you doing something instead of just talking about it makes you an expert or makes you whatever, you know, if you, if you write consistently every day, you know, or if you publish a blog or if you, uh, you know, are writing your novel, you are an author. So many people talk about doing things that they could do. The number of people who say they're going to do something compared to the number of people who actually do it is a very, very skewed picture. But so I think the thing that people don't realize is just by the act of having participated in something or taken the step to do something, you've already got credibility beyond most of the general population. You know, yeah, does that automatically make you, you know, John Grisham? Probably not. Uh, But is that really the the measure of success you should be using you know when you've developed a factory so people can just write books under your name is that what it's going to take for you to actually see that you've done the thing but you know just getting to the point where you're actually putting words into action itself means that you're not an imposter you're actually doing the thing and I don't think people give themselves enough credit for for that at all. Or because something comes easier to them than the fact that they are a natural, they think takes away any sense of accomplishment or any sense of entitlement that they would have to be in the room. It's like, oh, but this is easy for me. So it doesn't count for some reason. You know, it's not, I wrote a book. Oh, well, I just like to write. So that's not really a big deal. It's not really an accomplishment. Um, Or, you know, oh yeah, I just, I just figured out how to do, I think with you, that's what I see. It's like, you bring me an art piece. That's amazing. And you're like, oh, well, no, it's not that big a deal. I was just testing, you know, my different paintbrushes. And then I looked up how to do this particular technique. And then I remembered, oh, that we saw, you know, these mountains and took these pictures. So then I looked at a picture. It's like, okay, so in other words, you created something really beautiful. You took all of these steps to do this. But because none of it was challenging enough to make you cry, or beat your head against a wall, you think you don't deserve having that accomplishment or being good at whatever it is. Is that accurate? Yeah, I suppose. Well, like we were talking about your your video production. You do video production for local businesses where uh-huh. you go record footage. This First of all, right now we're gonna test on air to see how well I know what you do. So this could be very embarrassing for me. But my assessment of what you do is you go and you uh, first you contact a business and say, I want to, you know, I, do you have any video marketing or any commercials that you put out or anything like that? And if they don't, you go out and you record video footage of 
Um, like if it's a painting company, you record, you know, maybe what the place looked like beforehand, and then you record can get footage of people doing all the things that they do, and then you know the finished product, and then you take that footage and you splice it together in a way that is pleasing record a voiceover and then a little tagline about the company and then you've got a 30 second little commercial or video of what that company can do for you is that a good guess yeah yeah that's actually that's dead on of what i do yes that's good wifing right there it's good wifing having a guess and i think to you that seems that process, you've done it a million times, so it's really simple. Uh-huh. But how many businesses without you would have those commercials? They're not doing these videos on their own. So even if technically they could, they could record footage on their phones, they could figure out how to record themselves and doing you know, voiceover or could just, you know, whatever it is, they haven't done it and they're not going to do it. So you providing that service for them, even though they technically have the capability, that is value. That has worth. That's, of course, people are going to, you can charge people for doing that because they're not going to do it otherwise. I think, you know, the guilt in charging people money is, oh, but they could really do this if they wanted to, but they don't. And so you being there to do that for them gives them something that they would never have on their own. And you get to charge people money for that and actually not feel bad about it. Yeah. You said something really profound about that, which was like, is the video that I produce better than what they would have done on their own? And like, it doesn't have to be perfect. It just needs to be better than what they could do in house. And especially in the case that they're not doing anything in house, uh, the part where I show up and go, hi, also I, for a lot of contractors, um, cause filming on set is tricky. Um, because then you have to like explain to the client, like, Hey, I, for, my videographer is going to show up. She's a, you know, chick with purple hair and a bunch of piercings. Don't worry about it. Um, that's a little bit, that's a little bit more tricky, but a lot of contractors will just document work as it goes with their crew doing photos. And so I'll be like, Hey, I don't have to go film just send me some of the weekly photos and I'll throw something together for that. Um, and that to me is like, how, how did you not, how did you not come up with, with this yourself? This is like the easiest, simplest thing. <laughs> I'm going to try to put it, do it that way to people. I think, I think my way of explaining it maybe gives them a little bit more credit, uh, you know, that they could do these things. They just, don't as opposed to I don't know why you didn't think of doing this, but you know I mean same same means to the same end I guess. Yeah no I, yeah no it's it's uh, <laughs> I am both an imposter and wildly pretentious. Uh, I contain multitudes. <laughs> that is a gifted kid thing or gifted adult thing if I've ever heard it. Like I'm <laughs> in both imposter syndrome and just the sense that I'm overwhelmingly smarter than everybody around me exist in the same I mean, I know I'm the best. I just don't know how. And it might go away at any moment. And then people will find out. I think it's tied to shame a lot, too. And particularly, I think the shame comes from the gifted kid perfectionist thing of that your potential is infinite. 
And if my potential is infinite, then I should technically always be getting better. And so if the score on the thing I did today isn't higher than the one I did last week, I'm not using that amazing endless potential. I'm not growing by leaps and bounds at every moment. Uh, and therefore, it's not good enough. You know? Yeah. I think, too, you know, when you've grown up with every conversation being about how you could be this, you know, every time your parents... Should, should be this. Should be. You would make a great this. You should. You have the duty to do this. You know, I distinctly remember being trotted out when I was very young because I sounded like I was 40 when I was four and performing for the adults, you know, by having a good a conversation using grown-up words. And so from that point, it was, oh, she's a little lawyer or she's a little whatever. <laughs> and so you always have these big expectations that people have for you. So then if you end up in like a normal job, then what is that? Nobody told me when I was little that, oh my gosh, she is going to go into recruiting, right? And she is going to, temporary staffing is going to be her thing. <laughs> Nobody talks about going into sales and, you know, being a good salesperson or, oh, I'm a middle manager. All right. You know, and those things are things that I worked for and, and had success in, but just because it was one of those jobs that isn't, isn't being president, you know, there's nothing, you don't feel like there's anything remarkable about selling SaaS, like working in SaaS sales, you know, software as a service means I'm selling people subscriptions for software. So the stuff that everybody complains about that you can't buy anymore, that is only on a subscription that is my life, you know, selling these things and getting people to spend money on it. So not only is it not a job that anybody brags about, I'm also part of the evil empire. You just feel like nothing that you do even counts. So how could you be anything but an imposter in any discussion that you have or in anything that you do? There's just no way to be anything else just because of the life that you're you're leading. I'm remembering uh, a couple interviews that we banked a while ago. I was talking to a gentleman with four degrees and two different doctorates. And he ran two companies at the same time, like two engineering firms, like serious business, holy crap stuff. And his general sentiment was, I'm not doing enough. I'm not living up to my potential. I'm going to keep pushing and keep trying to expand. And it's like, bro, hang on. You're freaking amazing. What, what do you, what? It's okay. Like it, it, <clears throat> it made me think of the self-help lady who's like, I get up at every day at five so I can hustle and overextend myself and blah, 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 blah. And every morning I wake up and I want to cry because it's five in the morning and it's still dark, but I have to do it because I'm going to do the thing. I'm like, well, maybe it's actually better if you wake up and you don't want to cry because your life is what you actually enjoy. Maybe. No. Okay. That's just, that's just me. Okay. Moving on. All those people, that's where they lose me. Those, you know, all the, the self-help people or the, here's how to be 
a success. They always get up so early. Why do like, why can I not wake up at 9am and be successful? I feel like I should be able to do that. I don't think being, uh, getting up at four should be a prerequisite for anything, uh, because that is, that's crap. But I think, you know, it's it's funny, you about banking interviews, which I don't know is something that we necessarily want to tell, tell the masses that that's something that we do. But we did. We had, this is, I think, our third run at this, this podcast. And we recorded some interviews and realized that that is a really difficult skill, having a good interview is uh-huh. an art it really is an art and something that takes a lot of practice and something that it is possible to be good at but our the natural instinct for a lot of us is if you do something one time and you aren't great at it then never do it again uh-huh. it isn't let's try it again let's get better you know we let's run away from things that we have to work at because so many things in our lives we've just been able to do easily. And then if you can't do something easily, then that must mean you can't do it at all. And I think that the early morning grind set, the like, just wake up and do do your best and then do it better than that. And then sacrifice this and sacrifice that. It's this reverence that our culture has for, uh, I think I had a, a American history teacher who said it was like, uh, the puritanical work ethic. Uh, and I think it's tied to this idea that if you're not suffering for something, you're not throwing enough effort at it. If you're not sacrificing sleep and friends and family time and, you know, utterly overextending yourself, then you're not trying hard enough. And it's kind of tied to this idea that, you know, in this country, if you just work hard enough, you can rise to be the highest heights of whatever. Like, look at this billionaire. He just worked really hard and also inherited generational wealth. But really, they just work way too hard. It's kind of telling that so many of our capitalist uh, icons were actually like horrible people (laughs) and kind of straight up sociopaths of like Elon Musk is not some amazing entrepreneur. He's a dude with generational wealth and a horrible work-life balance. Like, oh, you sleep in your office. You're so dedicated. Like, no, you sleep in your office. You're horrible at self-regulation. You're not a productive, sane person. You're, You're just off in this crazy extra stratosphere of admirable self-destruction. There is definitely this idea that in America, you know, part part of the American exceptionalism is you can do whatever you want if you work hard. And so there is that suffering part of it that we, we think is there. But it also gives us that idea that, you know, with, well, these people did it. So if I'm not doing that, then I must not be good enough. It's like when they do, um, if you ever read or, or watch the videos of like, I live on, you know, a day in New York City, how I live as a student. And it's, you know, oh, I, you know, I go to this grocery store, I get my coffee here. And oh, I have this studio that my parents paid for, you know, they pay my rent, and they also pay my and they, they gave me this car, you don't see 
those parts of the successes, the people that you're modeling, you're trying to model yourself after, you don't see the things that they had, the starting point that they had compared to your starting point. So that's just another way to feel totally inadequate because there it's not a level playing field, but that is not the image that we're given. You know, the idea uh-huh. is that, oh, everybody can start a business in their garage and can turn into Amazon. It's like, well, it also helps if your family invests millions of dollars in your business or somebody <laughs> bought you that garage, you know, or in that garage is thousands of dollars worth of technology that most people can't get their their hands on, you know, when they're starting out. So we just have this totally skewed sense of what effort it does take to be successful and then why we don't have it. It's like, well, if you had some of those advantages, you would probably be able to do those things too. So what you are doing is good. You deserve to be proud of what you're doing. I think the other thing, you know, we've talked a little bit about perfectionism, which is definitely, I, I see that a lot um, in, uh, in ADHD folks. I mean, it, it, definitely in all groups of, of neurodivergent, I think there's an excellent chance of somebody having perfectionist tendencies. But I think people with ADHD in particular are really the champions there. And the thing that I was told that I think most affected me is I had a uh, because when you're when you're creative, there's never any done. You know, you could edit a book and rewrite a book forever and have it never have it be perfect because there's always something you can tweak, always something you can change. Uh He said, don't let perfect be the enemy of good. So if what we have is good, then good can be good enough. It not everything needs to be 100%. Some things can be good. You know, I had uh, another another person who told me this can be 80%. You know, this this project that you're doing can be 80%. You, not everything needs to be 120%. Sometimes uh-huh. doing 120% is bad because well first of all because you can't give more than a hundred percent so that hundred twenty percent nonsense always drives <laughs> me up. or like give it a hundred ten percent I can't I, I can't but sometimes even just trying the difference between the eighty percent and the one hundred percent is so small it's diminishing returns you're not gonna get it's not gonna give you that much more compared to the effort that you're putting into it so those things help me reframe a little bit my sense of what I was putting into the world, which gave me a little bit more confidence to say, okay, this thing that I wrote, this is good enough. And then sometimes, you know, when I, when I have clients coming to me, and this is something that we talk about a lot, imposter syndrome is something that it's one of the most common things that my coaching clients are working through. Um, you know, one of the exercises that we do is observe is, okay, go to work and really look at the presentations that other people are putting together. Take trainings, you know, go on message boards, whatever it is that where your niche is and see really what are people putting into the world? What are quote unquote successful or good enough people putting out into the world? And often you will realize like Michelle Obama at that table with those leaders going, oh, you know what? What they're putting out is 
as good as what I have to offer. You know, what I have might even be better than what other people are putting out there. So looking at things with a critical eye instead of the unknown, you know, what you think people are doing or what you're projecting onto people is really get an accurate assessment of what what is out there. And if you do see a big difference, you know, then catalog it. What do those things have that what, you know, that yours do not so that you can you can work towards that. But the other thing that we need to do is acknowledge successes in the process. Because that's another thing that we do is we only look at a finished project or a, a goal that's totally attained. And that is our only criteria for success. You know, I will only be good enough when I've been, when I've been promoted to vice president. Well, before you get there, there's a lot of things that have to happen that are things that you have worked for. So creating mini goals or creating milestones along the way is very important, not just saying, oh, I'll be good enough when I do this one thing. It's acknowledging, you know, the work that you're doing throughout throughout the whole the whole trip there that are successes. Because the more you can celebrate successes, the more you start to get this idea that maybe I am successful. Maybe I have earned this. Maybe I do have the right to sit in here. You know, your brain really latches onto the negative. Our brains love to do that. But what they let go immediately is anything we've accomplished. You know, if you catch yourself saying things like, you know, somebody says, oh, congratulations, people immediately go to, oh, thanks. Well, now the next thing I need to do or, oh, thank you. But what you didn't see is this. It's like, no, 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 no. Sit with that success without attaching negative to it. You should dwell on your success as much as you dwell on those negatives. But our brain really just loves to sit in, in the, the bad stuff. I think there's um, a, when you're, we're looking at managers and we're training managers to give better feedback, there's actually a five to one ratio that we train managers in, which is you need to give somebody five pieces of good feedback for every one piece of negative feedback because employees' brains will latch on to that negative feedback to the point where they don't even hear that good feedback. So it takes five times the amount of good feedback to override that negative feedback. So gotta love gotta love these these brains of ours like stop mm -hmm. helping please well it's like it's like doing a, a doing a stand-up show and you've got you're absolutely crushing and there's a room of hundreds of people laughing at your stuff mm -hmm. and then you see that one dude with his arms crossed usually on a date that he he's doesn't want to be here but there's a girl so he's just gonna go and do it and that's the dude you can't stop seeing like not all these other people who are having a great time and really enjoying themselves. It's that guy. Yeah. And it just seems like a built-in thing in your brain of like, no, look out for the failure because the failure might kill you because we're hunter-gatherers on a Serengeti. Like, no, no. <laughs> I'm lactose intolerant and I live in a city. This is not a life and death thing. Also, the other one, no art is ever finished. It is only abandoned is uh, my favorite phrase to go back to with that kind of stuff where like 
you can't actually get it to be completely perfect. You can get it to be good. That's what I'm trying to sell my editor on. So far, it's not not exactly working. I think the other thing, you know, or another thing that you can do with imposter syndrome is keep a list, whether that is a, a notebook or whether you put little pieces of paper in a jar. Um, but every time you accomplish something small or large, pop it in that, you know, wherever you're, you're recording those things so that you have visual proof that you do things well or that you have accomplished things. And so when you are starting to feel that imposter syndrome, then you can go to that well of, hey, actually, brain, thank you very much, but I do accomplish these things. You know, and, and sometimes it's, you know, the last thing I would say for, you know, how to, to, to work on this with yourself is reassess, make sure you're judging what your accomplishments are on your own criteria and not this picture that you see of other people, whether it's social media, whether it's you're you're projecting based upon these successes. You know, for some of us, getting out of bed is so hard today. And so that's an accomplishment. Like I did that. I am proud of that. You know, for some people, exercising is, you know, if you exercised today, that is an accomplishment because that was really hard for you. So sometimes we focus instead of, you know, bigger goals necessarily, we look at, did you do a hard thing? What is the hard thing for you that was something that you accomplished, something that you overcame? So get yourself really thinking about what is good for you? What was tough for you? What was challenging for you? And that is a huge success. So I always say, of course, you know, coaching is great if this is something that you are working through, um, because sometimes it just takes another ear or another set of eyes to help you see your life a little differently. And, you know, maybe there are things that you're doing that are successes that you're not giving yourself credit for. And maybe there are things that you can work towards rather than just, I'll never be good enough, smart enough. Well, we can work towards some goals and a coach can really help you with those those things. So if coaching is something that you haven't explored and that you do get, uh, you do have the, the resources to go after, I highly recommend it. Uh, if not, then, you know, friends, family, I know just talking to you, babe, is is really helpful for me sometimes when I feel like I'm not, I don't deserve to be where I am or be doing what I'm doing, you know, and you can really be a very grounding, supportive presence. So if not everybody has an Ellie, which is bad for you all, but great for me, um, then, you know, maybe <laughs> then, then start keeping like a, a successes journal or, or, um, you know, talk to your friends and see what they think of you rather than what you think of you. And you just might be surprised at how, uh, how much you have earned in your life, the right to, uh, the right to be with, with wherever you want to be. And, uh, I think that can be very, very helpful. So, yeah. So that's, that's what I think. Any, anything else that you can think of? else for overcoming imposter syndrome 
I don't know. I think I think my my advice on this just really isn't good enough to matter for anybody. So you know, it's uh, not something they should really look into. I mean, I wouldn't go to me. No, nope, everything you said sounds great, and I sw- I mm, I'm pretty sure my therapist has said a lot of that word for word. So well done. But I think that's just going to wrap it up for this episode of Gifted Kid Messy Adult. Uh, If you like the show and you'd like to support us, uh, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That helps get the algorithm on our side. And as we know, the algorithm is just AI developing itself and controlling our lives. If you can find us and follow us on Facebook, that'd be super cool. You just search for Gifted Kid Messy Adult. Or if you have a topic you'd like us to cover, you can put it there. Or you can email us at giftedkidmessyadult at gmail.com. And how can people find you, babe? Well, you can go to our YouTube channel. We post episodes every week. And in these episodes uh, on YouTube, you get all the stuff that we don't uh, share in the the main feed. (laughs) So all the fun behind the scenes, the jokes that didn't land, you know, all that good stuff. So like all the jokes. Well, give yourself some credit, babe. That's the whole thing. Otherwise, we got to do this whole episode again. Jesus. Uh, and you can also find me at CoachJessicaMichaels.com. Well, awesome. All right. I think that'll wrap it up for this episode. Uh, we'll see you next time. And take care of each other out there. 